0: In chapter 3, we read, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Achaia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And so in chapter 3, what we're going to see is finally they're going to cross over the Jordan River. Now, as we go through the book of Joshua, again, the theme is... In the book of Joshua, is how we can step out in faith and live by faith, how it is that we can experience that victorious Christian living that the Lord has for us, a life flowing with milk and honey. And to remind you that as we look at the promised land, the promised land is not a picture of heaven, because when we go to heaven, we're not going to be facing the enemy, we're not going to be facing giants and tall walls and, and people in battles coming against us all that is going to be behind us when we go to heaven but what we see that the land of canaan or the promised land it represents our lives now how god desires for us to to walk by faith and to live that victorious christian life you see he doesn't want us living and walking out there in the wilderness does he And as we went through those books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, a huge lesson in that was is that we can spend time out in the wilderness, have a wilderness-type experience with the Lord or walk with the Lord because of unbelief or fear or disobedience. So we see some real keys here that I hope that you're jotting down, and we're going to see... Five things tonight that I think are real key for us to experience that abundant life, for us uh, to remember uh, as we walk by faith that it's going to be helpful for you as you journey through life. And so we've already seen some of those principles here in the book of Joshua. In chapter one, as we saw that the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, you're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and everywhere where you set your foot, you're going to possess your possessions and so i'm going to give you this land it's a done deal all you need to do is go by faith go in and possess what i have for you and so the lord began to tell joshua uh three times in that chapter that you be strong and of good courage and that's a message for you and t- me as well as we walk with the lord be strong and of good courage and we can be because first of all we know that the Lord is with us. And that's what the Lord told Joshua there in chapter 1, that I am with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And so we can stand on that promise that, Lord, you are with me. And I hope that as Christians that we live in the awareness that the Lord is with us every single day. And we've talked about this, but I think it's worth reminding you once again, as, as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 9, that you've been called into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I as believers, we've been called into fellowship, relationship, intimacy, and closeness with the Lord. And whenever we lose that, that's where we can begin to experience that dryness in our own lives. The children of Israel, when they came through the wilderness, they would say, Lord, you're not with us. You wanted us to just die out here in the wilderness. And the Lord was saying to them, I love you and I'm with you. I'm carrying you in my arms. Is what he said in the book of Deuteronomy. And know that the Lord is with us, and we may not understand everything that we go through, or it may not always be easy in the giants that we face in our lives, and the walls that seem to be before us, and the enemy that comes against us. But know this, that the Lord does go before us. So Joshua, you can be strong and good courage because I am with you. Second of all, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, there are times where we feel in our lives that people forsake us or they leave us or they turn their backs on us. And even Christians, you may feel that way. But one thing that you can stand on is this, that the Lord says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That he is with you. And and you can stand on that promise in those times where you feel alone, where you feel like that, Lord, am I doing this battle by myself? No, the Lord says, I'm right there with you. And I'm always going to be next to you. And that's a promise that we can stand on every single day. So those were a couple of the principles that were very important that we saw in chapter 1 that's going to help us live that victorious Christian life, to to step out in faith. And, And then he said, thirdly in that chapter, that Joshua, you meditate on the Word of God day and night. You meditate on God's Word, the law of God. You meditate on it, and you'll be successful and prosperous. And that's how you and I, can be successful in our Christian lives. And there's all kinds of books out there and, and um, you know, information out there and, and papers written about how to have the successful Christian life. A key is what we're seeing here in the book of Joshua, these very things that we're talking about that's spelled out in God's Word, knowing that he's with us, he won't leave us. Meditate on the Word of God day and night because you see that as we step out in faith and stand on the promises of God, you got to know the promises of God, don't you? And if you don't know the promises of God, you're going to find yourself being weak and wondering and confused and full of fear. And I really believe that one of the reasons why there are Christians and many of them that feel weak spiritually and confused and and all of this is because they don't know the word of God. They don't know the promises of the Lord. And I want to remind you again in Exodus chapter 32, after the children of Israel had danced around the golden calf and, and sinned that... We see that Moses was up on the mountain interceding on their behalf. And the Lord said, Moses, that, you know what? I'm not going to destroy them and make a great nation out of you. But this is what I want you to do. I want you now to lead the people to the place that I have spoken to you about. And you see, you and I, we don't know how to, to the place to go. How is it that we're going to lead others that we minister to, whether it's your children or those that you minister to that are linked to you in your life, whether you minister to children or youth or whatever it might be, that how is it that you're going to lead others if you're not listening to the Lord about the things that he's speaking to you, the promises that he's giving to you? You see what I mean? So for us to know the direction that we're to go, to go into the promised land, and that's what he was telling Moses, you're going to go to the place, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And you lead the children of Israel to that place that I have spoken to you about. And so very important that we meditate on the Word of God day and night. And I don't know about you, and I'm sure that many of you would agree with me, that every single day I need to go back to the Word of God and the decisions that I make and and the challenges that I face. I always filter it through God's promises and through His Word to give me wisdom and direction and guidance and confidence. So those three principles that we saw in chapter 1. And then chapter 2, we saw the beautiful picture of redemption through Rahab the Harley. And we'll talk a little bit more about her as we continue on through the book of Joshua. But it was a wonderful story. As She is told now to put out the scarlet thread in chapter 6. We're going to see she does that. So her uh, home is saved, and she's not destroyed. The scarlet thread representative of the blood of Jesus Christ. That red thread she would put out symbolizes, just as the Passover, that they would put that red blood on the doorposts in the lintels. that she is going to be saved. And as you and I come... And put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on dying on Calvary's cross. You and I also are saved as well. So a beautiful picture of redemption that we saw in Joshua chapter 2. Chapter 3 here, we're going to see some more principles for you and for me. As we desire to move into the promised land. A life of victory and a life of faith. And so we see that the children of Israel at this point, finally, 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 they're at the Jordan River. Do you realize that it's been over 400 years since they've been on the other side of the Jordan River? And in Genesis chapter 15, when God gave that promise to Abraham, that Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham uh, would believe the Lord and he didn't have any children at that time. But in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord told him that, Abraham, your descendants are going to number the stars of heaven, and they're going to find themselves in a foreign land for four generations or 400 years. But I'm going to bring them out of the land. I will judge that nation. Of course, he's speaking of Egypt, and I will bring them back into the land. So over 400 years since the end of the book of Genesis, when Joseph had his father and all the family, 75 in totality, come to Egypt, Finally, they're at the Jordan River, and God's fulfilling his promise that he has given to them that they're going to take and possess the land. He's going to give them the land that he promised, keep his covenant here that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and through Jacob. So here they are. It's early in the morning. They lodge there before they cross over. And so verse 3, they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know uh, by the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And so verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, "Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people." So they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before the people. And I know that most of you you know what the ark of the covenant was. It was that furnishing that God had told Moses to build out there in the wilderness when they made the tabernacle. And that ark of the covenant was just a box. It was about 3 feet long, about 2 feet wide and about 2 feet high. It was made of acacia wood, lined with gold. And then inside that box, as we went through Numbers and Exodus and and the Old Testament books there, the books of Moses, we know that there was the tablets of stone that were in that box as well. Isn't that kind of interesting that sometimes you see, you know, pictures of Moses and he's got these huge tablets and stuff. They are fairly small tablets that fit into that box. So the tablets of stones that were written with the finger of God. Then we have the jar of manna that would fall from heaven and then Aaron's bud. In Numbers chapter 17, that that rod that butted to confirm that Aaron was called to be the high priest. And then on top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. It was just a lid made of pure gold, and it had two cherubim. And it was the Lord that said to Moses, I'm going to meet with you between the cherubim. And so that's where the high priest, as we know from Leviticus chapter 16, on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies, And he would make atonement for the sins of the nation. He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And there in the Holy of Holies was the Shekinah glory of God. The high priest was the only one that was allowed to go behind that veil into the Holy of Holies. Now the tabernacle, remember, was a temporary structure. They would... Fold it down in the book of Numbers, talks about all that and the different families of the Levites that were responsible for uh, taking care of the tabernacle. And the family of the Kohathites, what they were to do is carry the furnishings. So the Ark of the Covenant is going to be as the box had four rings on the corners and they would slip these poles through those rings and bear it on their shoulders. And so it's going to be carried by the Levites and the priests are going to go before them. And the Lord says, this is what you're going to do, Joshua. You're going to go to the Jordan. And when they came to the Jordan river, they are going to see that it's in its flood stage. So here it is. It's in the springtime and it's the early summer runoff is what it is. Much what we see here in Colorado. Colorado. When the rivers start to melt and it runs off and the rivers are swelled up. Back in Joshua's day, of course, the Jordan River held a lot more water than it does today. They take so much water out of the Sea of Galilee and out of the Jordan River today for agriculture. By the time it gets to where they're crossing, there's not a lot of water there. But in Joshua's day, there was a lot more water. And it's particularly when the mountains of Lebanon, the snow begins to melt. The, the headwaters of the Jordan River collects that water. And there's a lot of water that's rushing down that river. So they're standing there. And the Lord says, you're going to cross over. The priests are going to take uh, go before. And the Levites are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant according to Numbers chapter 4. And they're going to go and stand in the Jordan River. And then we're going to see that as they do, that the flow of the river is going to stop. And so pretty amazing what's going to happen here. A couple of things that I think is important for us to remember, that when they came here to the Jordan River, the first principle that we see here is they didn't begin to say, oh, no, you know what, Lord? It's in the flood stage. What's going to happen? How are we going to cross this river? But they're trusting in the Lord. And even the very last steps that they have to take to cross the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, they have to depend on the Lord. And so the next principle for you and I to remember, principle number one, is that we need to keep in mind that every step that we take in our journey in life, I need to depend on the Lord. And whenever I start to say, you know what, I can do this myself, I can swim across the river. They knew that they needed the Lord even across the Jordan River. So that journey through the wilderness and all the way to the Jordan River, they come, it's in a flood stage, and it's like, what terrible timing. That's what they could have thought. But the Lord was with them and was going to direct them every step of the way. The Lord didn't say, ah, the river's kind of up. Too bad, guys. Good luck crossing the river. But know that the Lord desires to work in every step that you take and every day that you live. That he desires to lead you and guide you. You don't have to fret. You may come to that point, you're wondering, how is this going to work? And the Lord is going to be faithful to lead you and guide you as you allow him to do that. It's when we get into trouble, it's when we think, okay, today, Lord, I'm going to just kind of kick it in cruise control, and I got things under control, and I'll take it, and I don't really need you today, Lord, to lead me. Every single day, every moment, Lord, I have a dependency on you. For you to lead me and guide me. Be open to your leading. So that's principle number one. But notice here another principle that I think is important. That it's interesting that the priests and the Levites are going to take the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to go into the river. And as they're approaching it, the Lord said here in verse 4 that the rest of you stay about 2,000 cubics behind the Ark of the Covenant. So that would be about a half a mile now, why is the Lord telling them to stay a half a mile behind the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know. I don't know everything in the Scripture. But I will tell you this. That another principle for us, as we're walking by faith, as we desire to experience that that abundant life that Jesus said that He has for us, I come to give you life and life abundantly. You know what? Don't crowd the Lord. And don't push them. We live in a society, we live in a world where we want things instantly, don't we? We want things right now. That's just the way it is. We have cell phones, we have text messaging, we have email. You know, even my computer, I very seldom use my computer because on my cell phone, uh, my Blackberry, I get all my email. When an email comes in, I can just respond right away. I mean, we live in an instant world where we can communicate, and it's getting easier to do that around the world. When I was in Africa a year ago, I could communicate with the church and with my family and with you guys through email there in that little village in Nimbale, Sudan. And a few years before that, I couldn't do that. So it really is amazing how we live in an instant world and things happen right away. But we kind of get that mentality, don't we? We want things to happen right away, things to take place. We have, you know, fast food restaurants, all these things that we don't like to wait. And we get very impatient. And as you are walking with the Lord in, and in this life, you can't push the Lord. You got to be patient because his timing is a lot different than our timing and you don't crowd him you give him space to work and that is a lesson that i've had to learn and i'm still learning because sometimes lord i want you to work like right now and help me with this situation this tribulation that i'm facing lord the flood waters are coming up and i need you to work right now and the lord says i'm going to be with you but give me room to work so don't get impatient with the lord he, it was Abraham, I think about him, that he received the promise that you're going to be a great nation, Abraham. When he received that in Genesis chapter 12, he had, didn't have any children. It was 25 years later before his son was born. But God will be faithful to work, and he's going to work in his timing and in his way. He will be faithful to his word. But don't push him. and Don't crowd him. Give him some space to work. And be patient. And patience is something that I am still learning. Because I can be so impatient with wanting the Lord to work in in ways that, that I'm crying out to Him. Lord, I want to see Your hand right now. I want You to solve this problem right now. And the Lord desires for us to just wait on Him. And that can be a hard thing. But it's the mature Christian who learns to wait on the Lord. And allow the Lord to work in their lives. So don't crowd me. And so here they are. They're, they're there in the midst of, of um, crossing over the Jordan River. Verse 5, I want to take note that Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Again, they have been sanctified, set apart for the purposes of the Lord. And it reminds me again as I read this of what the Lord said to the Corinthian church. You have been sanctified. You and I have been set apart for the purposes and the will and for his good pleasure. Not for the world's pleasures, but for his good pleasures. You and I have been set apart that we walk by faith. And so verse 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So God is going to show that Joshua is the leader. I'm going to show the people that they may know that I'm with you just as I was with Moses. So command the priests to stand in the water, and, um, and, and that's what they're going to do. So verse 9, so Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gershaites, and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. Verse 13, And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down to the Sea of the Arabah and the Salt Sea failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people crossed completely over the Jordan. You tell the priests that are going to stand in the, in the waters. They were to go out into the waters and stand there. And when they do, the water is going to stop flowing. And it's going to be up north. There's going to, it's going to begin to heap up. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And you got to remember, this isn't going to be a five-minute walk across the Jordan River. There's about at least two million people that are crossing over. There's a lot of people, so this is going to be hours of them crossing over. And that water that's in rushing is going to heap up and heap up. What a sight that must have been. But when the priests go in and the Lord stops the flow, they are going to cross on dry ground. They're not going to be crossing You know, through the mud and through the muck. Much like, again, the the Red Sea. When he parted the Red Sea, they crossed on dry land. And so it's a miracle, definitely, what the Lord is doing here. And one of the things about the priest is, is they had to step into the Jordan River. They had to get their feet wet. Now, that must have been interesting for the priest. It's kind of like, okay, here we go. We're going to step into the Jordan River. They had to step out in faith and watch God work, and then the flow stopped. They didn't say, oh, Lord, why don't you stop the flow? We don't want to get our feet wet right now. But then when they stepped in, the flow would stop. The principle is this, number three. is that there are times in your life that you're going to have to step out in faith. You can't stand there on the banks all the time. And the Lord may be speaking to you about certain things. You step out in faith. Some people say this is a stepping into faith. Whatever you want to call it, it's stepping in. But you see, they're not going to stand there in the river forever. They're going to have to step out. You step out in faith. And you may not always understand what is going on and how God is going to work. But as you hear His voice and as you read His word and as you stand on His promises, there are times where you step out in faith. And I know that's been true for me in my life. When Sue and I came up to Greeley to start the church here at Calvary Chapel, the Lord didn't say, okay, this is what's going to happen in the first year, in the first five years, in the first 10 years. And a lot of times, we want to know what the plan is. Lord, what's the plan? How is this going to work out? You're putting this on my heart, and I know you're leading me in this direction. I'm standing on your promises. I want to know how it's going to work out practically. And there are those times in our lives when we hear the voice of the Lord, and He says, step into the river. And then they're going to step out. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to have you go to Jericho, and then I'll give you the plan for that. And it's day by day with the Lord, walking with him. And that's really what makes being a Christian so exciting because he just leads us day by day. And you see him providing. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that because as I know that the Lord is leading me day by day, then that means I go to him day by day to hear his voice and to read his word, that, Lord, you know what? I need you today to lead me. But there are times of stepping out in faith. When we come up to Greeley, we didn't know what was going to happen. We were going to start a Bible study in our home. All we had was a Bible. When I got here, I went to and Woods that used to be over here, and I bought a, a cheap stool and then went downtown to and bought a cheap guitar. That's all we had. But we had the Spirit of God that was speaking to us and leading us and guiding us. We didn't have any plan or idea we're going to be able to get a facility or we're going to be able to pay the bills or what are we going to be able to do. And each step, we've had to step out in faith and watch God work. And it's been a wonderful venture of faith as we have done that. And you know what? The Lord wants to do the same thing with you. I remember when we bought this building. When we looked at this building, I thought, no way, no way that we could buy this building. It's not a huge building, but it's been a blessing, hasn't it? And I remember when Jim actually, um, Pastor Jim, told us, me about the building. Oh, there's this building over by where I live, and it looks pretty neat. And I, I just told him I'm not interested in it. You know, I'm content where we are. We had a smaller, about half the sanctuary size here, and, you know, it was starting to fill up a little bit. And I was excited what the Lord is doing. I was very content where we were. But then there was, after a Wednesday night, I drove by here. And I saw it, and I looked in that front door, and I thought, "Well, maybe, maybe we'll look at it." So, I called a realtor, and I came over and looked at it. And it was about three or four days before I was to leave for Thailand for a missions trip, and for two weeks. And so, I came over, and I looked at it, and this was, you know, I could see, man, this would be wonderful, Lord. And I didn't know how the Lord was going to provide during that time. We didn't quite have the money. To, to make a healthy down payment and be able to fix it up and all of this. But as we prayed about it, and I told the realtor that, I said, you know, this is nice, but I didn't tell him we couldn't afford it. I said, you know, we're just going to have to pray about it. And he said, well, you better hurry up uh, because it's going to go here really quick. I mean, this was 10 years ago when real estate was really hot here and things were selling like that. I said, "Well, I'm going to go to Thailand in a couple, you know, a couple of days. I'm going to be gone for over two weeks." He said, "I'll be gone when you get back." I said, "Well, if the Lord wants us to have it, we'll have it. So I'm not worried about it." So I go to Thailand and I was really praying about it, and there, uh, with Ron Miller and um, at the orphanage, and I really felt like the Lord was pressing on me: "You're going to get that building." So I came back; it was still available. I got back that night. That night. Um, we had to where um, we had enough money to put down on a down payment and money to fix it up. So the next morning we called the realtor and made an offer. They accepted it, and the day after that, two more offers came in on the building. So I didn't know how things were going to work out. All I know is the Lord wanted us to step out in faith and get the building, and it's been a great building. The building's paid for. You know, it's been a wonderful building for us. I know it's not the Crystal Cathedral, but it is a place where we can meet and be comfortable and be blessed in, isn't it? And we will maximize this facility, and if the Lord ever wants us to go somewhere else, again, it will take a step of faith, but there are those times in life... Um, see, I'm not very smart. You guys probably already know that. And, and, um, and I can't plan everything out like some guys. They just have these goals and everything. I'm kind of like, Lord, whatever you want to do, that I, I want to get behind what you're doing. And, and I'm not into the purpose-driven. I'm into the spirit-led. Because I know that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly all that I can think or ask or hope. And if you allow the Lord to do that in your life and walking in obedience and hearing his voice, he will keep that promise to you. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And the Lord is so wonderful and he will do more with your life than you can ever do in your own energy and your own flesh. So here they finally, they cross over. And so chapter 4, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over to Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves 12 stones from here, and out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over uh, with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodged tonight. And then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 6, That it may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? And then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordans were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of tribes, the children of Israel carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in a place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are to this day. So this was what was taking place, is that as they were crossing over, that Twelve men were chosen by Joshua. They were to take a stone out of the river, heap it up on their shoulders, carry it over to Gilgal. That's where they're going to go. Gilgal is going to be that base of operation as they go and they begin to, to take conquest over the land in the in, of Canaan, as they begin to conquer the land. So set up these stones, take them over to the camp, and set it up there. So it will be a memorial that what the Lord has done in bringing you out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, his faithfulness to keep his word to you, that every time that you come back from battle and you see those stones that are there by the camp, it's going to be a reminder to you. Joshua, he's told that we see here that Joshua, what he was to do is he was to take 12 stones and he was to put it in the river where the priests were standing. Now, as he did that, as the waters would overflow in the springtime, as the waters would recede back, then we know that those stones would be covered up, I imagine. But during the dry time of the year, the waters recede, the river goes down, those stones would be exposed. A couple of things I'd like to point out to you. Number one, remember always that the Lord, what he has done in your life in bringing you out of the world. Never forget that. The Lord has been so good in saving us and forgiving us and making us his child and giving us a new heart. And we can always be thankful for that. And know that if Jesus loved you enough to come and die for you and give you salvation and forgiveness and right relationship with the Father, don't you know that he loves you now? And he's going to work in your life and he's going to do what's best in your life? So, memorial. Always remembering how good the Lord has been, how faithful, how he's worked in your life. And even, even in the dry times, in the drought times. That they would be able to see those piles of stones there where the priests were, where they stood, where Joshua put those stones over there. He was told, Joshua, you do this. That know that the Lord is faithful and he's good. And maybe you're here tonight and you're going through a dry time right now. The Lord is still with you and he's going to work and he desires to refresh you because the waters would come back the next spring and cover up those stones. You see, what can happen is, is when things are going good, we can kind of forget about the goodness of the Lord. And you recall that in the book of Deuteronomy that it was the Lord that said, when I, you go into the promised land and I bless you, don't forget about me. You always remember him. So those stones at Gilgal, To remember as we go out in battle in this life that the Lord is good and he's faithful. That memorial over in the Jordan River, whether times are good or times are dry, always remember that the Lord is with us and working in our lives and faithful to keep his promises to us. So verse 10, so the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. And then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the man of Reuben, the man of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle in the plains of Jericho. So remember that it was that... Those two tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they're settling on the east side of the Jordan River, but their men of war are going to come over and help them conquer the land, about 40,000. So verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua. In the sight of all Israel, they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant, that the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched. The dry land that the waters of Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its bank as before. What an amazing sound that must have been. As soon as the priests come out of the water here, all of a sudden that heap that's up north that had been just building and building, all of a sudden it begins to recede. What noise that must have been. And I wonder if they could see it. How far north? We're not sure. They believe it's probably about maybe 20 miles to the north of where they were. But All that water all of a sudden comes and recedes back as um, the priests step out of the banks of the Jordan. In verse 19, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. They camped at Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And these twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before as us until we had crossed over, and that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God. When your children ask, what are these memorial stones? What are these stones about there in Gilgal? You tell your children, you teach your children about the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the goodness of God. You teach your children that and how we need to teach our children that. It is so important that we do that, that we take on that responsibility that has been given to us as parents that we teach our children in the ways of the Lord, bringing them up in the admonition of the Lord. That is our responsibility. And one of the ways to do that is you tell your children about how God is working in your life, how faithful he's been to you, how you love the Lord, how he's leading you, that they can see that. And I pray, parents, that we're not afraid to do that with their kids, to sit them down and say, this is what the Lord means to me. This is what he's done in my life. And he's brought me out of Egypt. And he's blessed my life. And and he's blessed our family so they can see that. And then you teach them the things of the Lord and the promises of the Lord. Because again, Exodus chapter 32. Moses, you lead the people to the place that I've spoken to you. And you're not going to be able to lead if you don't have that testimony Of the goodness of god and the faithfulness of god and then teaching your children and so over and over again we have seen moses his last address you teach your children diligently the law of god the things of god and these memorials you tell them about the goodness of god and have that testimony in your life to your children so here chapter 5 very quickly so it was when all the kings of the amorites were on the west side of the jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites were on the sea. He heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had crossed over, that their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So we see that um, the enemies that they're going to fight against hear about what had happened, that they dried up the Jordan River, that they're across now, and their hearts melted. Word spread very, very quickly about what had happened. So they know they're going to have to do battle. You know, when you're growing in the Lord and you're walking in faith and stepping out in faith, you know what? The enemy's going to hear about it really quick. And I think that his heart melts. Oh, oh, man, those people at Calvary Chapel, they're growing in God's word. Man, God is working in them. He, he, he hears about it with you individually, with your family, with this church corporately and his heart melts but he's still going to do battle just as the children of israel are going to have to do battle against the canaanites their hearts melted yeah but they're going to fight and the enemy he knows he's a defeated foe but he's going to do everything he can to throw those fiery darts at you that's why it's important that we put on the whole armor of god ephesians chapter 6 but but his heart faints and that's why james says submit to god Resist the devil, he will flee from you. You just keep walking in faith. We don't have to be afraid of him. He needs to be afraid of us. He needs to be afraid of us who are walking with the Lord. And the enemy trembles when he hears the news of a man or a woman or a family or a congregation that is devoted to the Lord and devoted to learning the word of God, devoted to prayer, and devoted to following after him. He trembles. Oh, he'll still fight. But his hearts melt. His heart melts because he knows that, you know what? Here is somebody that's going to be effective for the kingdom of God. And he'll fight against that. So news will spread. Know that the enemy will come against you in those times that you're walking with the Lord. And that's what they're going to do. In verse 2, At this time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel on the hills of the foreskin. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. Verse 6, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, to all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. To him the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So that Joshua circumcised the sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised. On the way. So it was when they finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places to the camp till they were healed. So all of a sudden, here, the Lord comes along and says to them, You know what? This generation needs to be circumcised. And you can initially read this and you think, What timing? I mean, here they are. They crossed the Jordan River and they're going to have to go to battle. Now you want to circumcise this generation? You see, the men of war that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised, but they died out in the wilderness. And then that new generation that was born out there in the wilderness, they had not been circumcised. That covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And it was a cutting away of the flesh. It was being an outward sign of an inward commitment. And you would think, why didn't they take kind of like take care of that on the other side of the Jordan River? Well, they had a little bit of time, but here it is. That they're on this side, and I think there's a reason, and it's principle number five. Number four was that you remember the goodness of the Lord, but number five is this. Number five is this. Before there is victory in our lives, there needs to be a cutting away of the flesh. Before there is that victorious Christian living, there needs to be a circumcision of the heart. And that's what needed to take place. There needs to be a cutting away of the flesh. Paul, when he was talking to the Philippian church, he said, beware the mutilators, the dogs, in chapter 3. He's talking about the Judaizers that were coming in and telling the Gentiles that they needed to be circumcised in order to have a righteous standing before God. Paul says, who's of the true circumcision? Those of the true circumcision are those who worship God in spirit. You be a man and woman that worships the Lord that you're a worshiper of the Lord, and don't be afraid to worship Him. Second of all, Paul said in chapter 3 of Philippians, those of the true circumcision, not only worship God in spirit, but secondly, rejoice in Jesus Christ. Do you rejoice in Him, in who He is, and what He has done for you? And then thirdly, the one who has no confidence in the flesh. You don't have confidence in your own flesh. In your flesh is no good thing, Paul writes. And I read that in Romans and I think, really? No good thing? It says no good thing in your flesh. Because the flesh, if we try to do things in our own energy, and our own strength, and you know what? All of us have strengths in different areas. But if we're not relying on the Lord and dying to self and saying, Lord, even in my strengths, I want to give you this, then we're headed for trouble. And it's oftentimes in those strengths that we feel like I'm strong in this area is where we'll have failing. It's oftentimes in those strengths where I say, Lord, you know what? I can manage this part of my life, this area of my life. I really don't need you. That's where we're headed for failure whether it's your marriage or your business or your intellect, whatever it might be. But Lord, every area of my life, I'm going to have no confidence in the flesh. I'm going to rejoice in you. I want to circumcise my heart. I want to be devoted to you. I want to be a worshiper of you. I want to be sensitive to your leading and allow you to work in me in every area of my life. I'm not going to have confidence in the flesh. So there needs to be a cutting away of the flesh before there is victory in the spirit. There needs to be a total devotion and surrender to the Lord. And as we walk in the Spirit, Galatians tells us that you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And all of us can have struggles in this life. And the problem is, is the flesh wears its ugly head. And and the flesh wants to dominate and, and comes against us and hold us in captivity The key is you circumcise your heart. You be completely devoted to the Lord and you come to that place of, Lord, I surrender all to you. And as you do that, dependency upon the Lord every day, every hour, every step that you take is where you're going to experience victory in the Spirit. And you're going to see God working and freeing you from those things. The Lord is able to free us from the things of the flesh that hold us bondage. But it takes a decision to say, Lord, I depend on you. I look to you. I surrender completely to you. This place where they're going to be circumcised (laughs) is at Gilgal. As we read in verse 10, the children of Israel camped at Gilgal kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land in Canaan that year. New beginnings here. And it will be new beginnings for you when all of us come to that point of complete surrender to the Lord. And I hope that maybe tonight, maybe tonight, this place might be a Gilgal to you where you say, Lord, you know what? I've been dealing with this. You've been dealing with me in this area of the flesh. I've struggled with it, whatever. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to confess it. I surrender completely to you. No more. And you be devoted to the Lord. Maybe this just might be a Gilgal for you. So as we finished tonight, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot and the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua sees this man. He has a sword that's drawn. He goes up to him and he says, are you for us or are you our adversary? And the answer is uh, the one with the drawn sword is no. I like that. Because obviously, as you read this, Joshua falls down to worship this one. This is a Christophany, a theophany. It's the appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The appearance of the precarnate Christ. He's the commander of the army of the Lord, isn't he? And he says, Joshua, as he accepts that worship there, you take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Very similar to what God told Moses at the burning bush. Moses, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. So this is the Lord here. And the Lord says, no, Joshua, it isn't, you know, am I for you or against you? The question is, are we for him or against him? That's really the question. The Lord's for us. He's already proved that by going to Calvary's cross and dying for the sins of humanity. The question now is, are we for him or against him? And the Lord goes before them into the land, and Joshua realizes that the Lord, that he does go before us, and he is for us. And I pray that we would understand that. I hope that you'd never come to the place of your life where the Lord is against me, because he isn't. And he proved that he's for you as he went to Calvary's cross. Sometimes people are fearful, so fearful of the Lord, or the Lord's against me, or he doesn't care about me. No. He died for you. And he's saying, I want you to surrender to me because I'm going to lead you in the battles that you face in life. And next week, we're going to see the walls of Jericho they're going to be staring at. And the giants they're going to defeat. But we all face those kinds of things. And sure, we can struggle and we can be fearful. All those things. But remember this. The commander of the Lord's army goes before you. Because he is for you. And he loves you. And he wants to work in your life. So Father, we thank you for these truths that are given to us. So many wonderful truths and knowing that we can trust in you and that we're to look to you in every step that we take. Give you room to work. Not to push you or crowd you. Lord, to remember the Father that you are the one, Lord, that that will guide us in faith as we step out in faith. That we may not have everything figured out all the time, but Lord, we know that you will be...